Oh, hey, welcome friends of the room, friends in El Paso, Fort Worth, Dallas, excited front row, Houston, Rogers, Arkansas, wherever you were tuning in and joining us from, uh, we are excited to continue this series. Hey, any uh, fans of the show tidying up right now? Man, I love it. Um, yeah, Marie Kondo. So for those of you who've never heard about it, let me tell a story that'll give us some direction for where we're going tonight. A friend of mine recently suggested that, a, a girl who works on staff, so it was like, hey, you guys need to watch the show. And it was telling us about it. It's essentially, it's like the reverse of Hoarders. If you've ever seen Hoarders, this is a show, Hoarders where you like keep everything. This is a show where the woman goes into your house, basically helps you kind of like, hey, let's get rid of this stuff. And, um, and it's got like a cult following right now around it to the point where if you are watching it, you're probably like, that's not exactly what the show's about. And, uh, but it pretty much is. And so I, I was like, yeah, okay, we need a new show. We'll watch that, turn it on. Let me give you a couple interesting facts in case you ever go watch it. Um, Number one, the uh, Marie only speaks Japanese, which is interesting and was a curveball. So she's in America and uh, she goes around and she's like basically with her translator. She's telling you, hey, this is what you need to do. Take these things out, move these. And she's got all these different step-by-step things to clean up your house. And I I can't exactly endorse it or any of it, but... uh, but I was a little bit surprised, like just funny things, like you talk to the close. You're like, thank you for what you were a part of my life in this season. And, uh, and the way you evaluate whether you want to keep different clothes or items is like, hey, does this thing bring you joy or uh, spark joy? Or is this something that is a part of my past? Or do I want this to come into the future? So we were like, hey, this, it, one thing it does definitely do is it gets you in kind of the spring cleaning kick. So of course, my wife and I began to go through things and immediately recognized how many things we have either that we didn't know that we have or how many things that um, we were holding on to from the past that probably had no place in our future. For example, cargo shorts, probably not something anybody needs to hold on to. So I'm like going through and I'm like, I mean, really, you've got to realize how much you have. I, I had a pair of binoculars that I've had since 15. I've never used them, but you kind of always hold on to stuff because you're like, well, what if I take up bird watching someday or so I'm going to need these or, you know going through old clothes and it's like pearl snaps, this probably has to go, or just things that no longer fit anymore. And so it was a revelation to us of just how many things from our past that we were still holding on to that we uh, didn't realize we were carrying into our future unknowingly. And what does it have to do with what we're talking about tonight? We're continuing a series called Self-Care, where we explore what the Bible says about caring for yourself. Self-care is a cultural term right now that's popular and related to uh, you know, people under the banner of self-care will uh, do all kinds of things, whether it is uh, participate in retail therapy, or hey, I just need to go to the mall because it's been a hard week, or uh, I need a margarita, or hey, I need to go on a diet. It's kind of like anything that you want that you think would be good for you fits into the bucket of self-care. That's what the world says. But biblically, self-care is not like that, but there is things that God says In order for you to be a healthy person in mind, body, and spirit, these are things that should mark your life. So we've been exploring that and are spending the next really handful of weeks exploring what does it look like in 2019 for you to be all that God wants for you to be, for you to experience increased health as it relates to your mind, as it relates to your body, as it relates to your spirit. And tonight, we are going to talk through the idea of cleaning out the closet, if you will, of your soul. Because just like in that scenario where there's things inside of you know, our closet that we stumble across and we're like, man, I didn't realize I still had this from high school that we're carrying around. There are things in all of our lives that if you don't intentionally go through your life 
You didn't just pick up that shirt from high school you're still carrying around. You picked up wounds and hurts from that friend who betrayed you in high school that you're still carrying around. And not just hurts, there's also just habits or, or we call them hangups or sins that at some point along our journey in life, all of us are either exposed to or sins committed against us. And if we're not diligent to clean those things out, to work through those, we will carry those items or those things from our past into the future. It looks like being exposed to pornography in the seventh grade and all of a sudden that begins to feed something and you carried it. Maybe you're still carrying it. It looks like uh, being sexually abused and just kind of along the journey of life and it wasn't your fault and, and somebody made a decision and it was wrong and it was evil. But if you and I are not careful to deal with the hurts and things done to us and things that we've done, you're gonna carry those items into your future, whether you want to or not. And so tonight, we're gonna discuss uh, what it looks like to diligently clean out the closet, if you will, of your soul, to make sure that you're not carrying things from your past into the future. Because if you do not deal with that, if you don't deal with hurts, sins, and things from your past in the present, you will carry them into the future. It is a guarantee. And so we're gonna look at what God's word says about how we can experience freedom from some of the hurts and sins that have marked our life. So we're gonna look at three principles. If you take notes, uh, you can label this talk cleaning out the closet or cleaning out the closet of your soul. We're gonna look at three principles and three practical things from God's word. Three principles as it relates to experiencing uh, a healthier you at a spiritual level and three practical steps in light of those three principles. So we're gonna dive right in. The first principle that we're gonna look at comes from Proverbs 28. It's really all throughout the Bible, but Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says this. Whoever conceals or hides their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. The first idea that Solomon tells us in Proverbs 28, 13 is repeated all throughout the Bible, which is essentially whatever we conceal will not heal. Uh, that way that I said it was, hey, the principle is that God cannot heal whatever we hide. There are things in your life, some in the present, some in the past, and if you are hiding them, you are basically saying, God, I do not want you to heal this arena of my life. Some of you are carrying around a secret addiction to pornography, and you would say, it's not an addiction, but I pretty much look at it every day. And you will not be healed as long as you hide or conceal that. Some of you are carrying an eating disorder, and no one knows, and you're committed to no one knows. And you think, man, I'm probably just gonna die with this. I don't know that I could tell anyone. Others of you, there was sexual abuse in your past. Maybe you carry the shame of an abortion. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know the Bible says whatever you hide, God cannot heal. That whatever we decide to hide or conceal from him is something we are saying, God, I do not give you access to healing this. You're carrying an addiction to drugs or pain medication, and you're doing it all alone and you're afraid, what if other people knew? And there's an enemy called Satan who is feeding you the lie that you can't tell anybody. You need to fight or you need to suffer in isolation alone. Because if people really knew the real you, they'd reject the real you, and it's a lie. And the God who's there says, I'm inviting you to experience the cure, which we already read, but as James says further to punctuate it, is this, is confession. He says this in James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another 
so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That the Bible teaches that the solution, that the cure, the first step in cleaning out the closet or the soul in your life involves confession. Because whatever the principle is, whatever you hide, God cannot heal. And as long as you keep that a secret, you will hide or you will uh, not experience the healing of God in your life. But if you will confess it, which means what? Not talking just to God. It says confessing to one another. It means talking to people, bringing it out into the light. God says that, along with prayer, you will begin to experience the cure, that confession is the cure. And he's inviting you, if you want to experience healing, it's not going to happen the day that you wake up and you're like, I just don't want to be depressed anymore. The first step is when you begin to expose it to the light, you begin to bring it into the light with other people, other believers or Christians inside of your life. But as long as you hide it, you delay healing in that area. I have a friend who, when I went to college, um, we one day went out to this lake uh, that was called Lake Bryan, which is near College Station, and um, you know, whoop, and uh, and we were out there and hanging out <clears throat> for the day, and he had to go to the bathroom. And, um, and we were kind of out of this like lake park and, and there wasn't really bathrooms around. So he was like, hey, I'm gonna go to the bathroom over here, went out in the woods and, and, uh, and he didn't have to go number one. So you may see where this is going. And uh, so he goes and, and he you know, uses leaves and, um, and then later that night, you know, kind of everything's fine, go back to the day and uh, go home and, and he was a roommate. <clears throat> or we lived in the same house. And that night he woke up and he was covered in a poison oak rash. Yeah, <laughs> I know, man. And um, here's, here's a fun fact about poison oak and poison ivy, in case this is just free. Uh, in order for it to heal, it has to be exposed to the light and out in the open. And the longer that it is covered up with clothes, uh, it will not heal. And, uh, and so that's a really tricky area. He's essentially wearing a diaper of poison oak around him. And that's a really tricky area to keep out in the open because we are not on National Geographic in Africa or something. <laughs> and, uh, and so what does that mean? It means that for weeks, he had a poison oak rash that covered him where he would essentially go to class and then he would come home and he would take a bath because whatever you hide cannot heal or delays the healing in there. And that guy was this guy. And uh, I know. Just didn't want us to go there. Um, Still don't. But I learned a valuable lesson as I experienced this firsthand that if you don't expose to the light and to the open, poison oak, it, like sin, is not going away and will not heal. And here's where this really is true for you. If you do not expose the areas of your life where you are struggling, you are going to not heal from them. You will not. If you don't have other people that you are opening up your mouth and honestly saying, hey, this is the area where I'm really struggling right now. I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's anxiety. And, and whether or not anxiety is a sin or directly or what does that look like, it's, it's a part of a fallen world. And I do know you weren't meant to walk alone in the midst of that anxiety. And there is an enemy who wants to tell you the lie that you can't tell anybody this. You're the only one who has same-sex attraction. You're the only person in here that had an abortion. If they really knew what you, who you really are, they wouldn't even let you in here. And it's a lie. It feeds you lies like, man, what are they going to think if I tell them? Let me tell you what they're going to think. 
If you come and you open up about, man, this part of my life, here's what they're gonna think. You're really honest, and you're a lot like them, only more honest. That's what they're gonna think. That all of us come into this room and we're all broken and we all have problems, and if you walked into this room and everyone looks pretty like they have it all together, we're all on a journey here. Nobody, hey, I just woke up like this. That doesn't exist in the church. And if the body of Christ can't be open about the areas where we are struggling, what group on the planet can? And so here's, here's the invitation. If you want to experience healing or cleaning out at a soul level, if you want to be all that God wants for you to be, and not just today, but going forward, you have got to tell someone. And so tonight, grab a trusted Christian. Grab someone that you believe. Sometimes I feel like we're like, hey, you got to live openly, and, and we give the impression that, hey, here's what we want you to do. Every one of you line up. We're all going up on stage. you got to tell everybody everything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm inviting you to tell one person. Start there. Share with your community group. That would be awesome. But if you're like, that's too much for me, take a baby step. I dare you. Tell one person. Tell a trusted believer. If you're like, I don't know any trusted followers of Jesus, we'll have an entire team up down front after this message that would love to come alongside and pray for you. And you're like, well, what are they gonna think if I share that? They're gonna think you're honest and you actually want to get well. That's what they're gonna think. And the God who's there is crazy about you. He loves you so much that he would give his own life for you. And there's an enemy who's telling you, you need to carry this alone. And he's saying, I love you. I want you to experience healing. Not because I'm angry at you, because I love you. And the choice is yours. Are you going to experience or allow the only cure that we're told, prayer and confession, from another person to come into your life to breathe and begin to breathe healing? Or are you going to hold it alone and just let it grow? Because what you hide does not heal. And what we hide, God cannot heal. So the first Principle is what we had God can't heal. And the first practical is that you've got to reveal. All the practicals come with an R. So this should be really easy tonight. You've got to reveal it. You've got to reveal it to someone else in your life. This changed my life. I remember in college around that same time, there was a guy who came in and busted into my house and he basically said, hey, take this phone. I did it again. I looked at pornography and I don't want to be this man anymore. And I'd never seen someone be that honest. And you know what I did? I slammed the door and said, get out of here. No, of course I didn't do that. That was entirely a joke. I said, oh my gosh, me too. And I don't want to be this man. And it was the very first time that I began to experience healing around pornography. Because confession is not just a cure, it's contagious. And when we open up our lives, it breathes health, not just into us, but others around us. So the first thing, the first principle, and the first practical that we're given is reveal. Because what we hide cannot be healed. Second principle that we see laid out in scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 12. It really comes from all over the place, but we'll, we'll dive in from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It says this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root or the root of bitterness, your translation may have, grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. That the writer of Hebrews says, see to it, that in your lives, you do not have a root of bitterness begin to grow. Here's what I love about the analogy, it's brilliant. What's a root? It's something that's below the surface that you can't see, but it's impacting what's on the surface. Some of you are carrying around a root of bitterness and no one can tell. And you got a great smile and you have it all together, but you are harboring anger and it is impacting what's on the surface. And it is gonna impact the future relationships that you have. 
So it's not just uh, evaluating and confessing sins and revealing sins inside of our lives to one another. The second principle is really around hurts, and that's this, that we have to stop holding on to hurts that hold you back. That there are things in this room that are scars that are being carried, and you are holding on to hurts from a friend who betrayed you, from a parent who walked out, from someone who abused you, from someone who hurt you, from a coworker who lied about you, And that root is beginning to grow, and it is not going away, and it will have consequences. How do I know if I have a root of bitterness growing? Let me give you a couple lists of questions. I think these will be on the screen. Uh, if it's not already obvious to you, if, man, I really, I'm angry at this person, and until they own it, I'm not forgiving them. Here's how else you might know. Is there anyone in my life that part of me hopes they fail or suffer? I would be excited about if things fell apart for them. The root of bitterness is growing. Is there anyone whose name, when it's just brought up, it makes me angry or brings bitterness to mind? Is there anyone that I'd avoid in public because of something that happened between us? If I saw them, I would try to go out of my way to avoid them or not let them see me because of what they did. Is there anyone that you are waiting to let into your life until they apologize? The root of bitterness is growing. Whenever I was engaged to my wife, um, we were going through premarital counseling, and the pastor was going to marry us. Um, my wife's parents had been divorced, and she had just had some past hurts from her dad. And he said, have you forgiven your dad? And she said, uh, there wasn't, hasn't been like a specific time that I can remember. And he says, I can't marry you until you deal with that. Because if you can't learn to forgive someone when they deeply hurt you, you are not ready for marriage. Marriage is one uh, call to forgive someone who deeply hurts you over and over and over again. And if you can't do that, if you're storing up bitterness already, you're not gonna be prepared to step into marriage. I mean, really, candidly, let me tell you the truth. That's what marriage is, is the call to forgive someone who deeply hurts you over and over and over again. And I'm not talking about abuse. I'm saying like that's just what even healthy marriages are. And if you can't and haven't forgiven, if you're carrying around bitterness now, what makes you think you're gonna be the type of person who gets rid of bitterness later? You're gonna store it up and store it up and store it up So I can't marry you. If you're dating someone in the room and they haven't walked through the process of forgiving a family member or they're carrying bitterness, you should be concerned because they're gonna carry bitterness against that person, which means they're gonna carry bitterness against you. And that root, though it's below the surface, will continue to grow and impact what is on the surface. And so you should be concerned if you're dating someone who has not forgiven someone inside of their past. There was a, uh, in the 1940s, um, World War II happened, and uh, all over uh, Germany, there were thousands of bombs that were dropped, thousands of them. So in the midst of World War II, the Allies flew over and they're trying to take down Germany. Thousands and thousands of bombs were dropped. Thousands of them did not go off. They're there to this day. All over, in other words, all over Germany, there's cities that um, there were these bombs that dropped and they never went off, maybe because the fuse or something was wrong with them. And every now and then, they'll find them. And you know what happens? Oftentimes, it happens whenever new construction is coming in and they're like, we're putting in a McDonald's over here and uh, sick of the bratwurst, here we go. And they'll begin to dig and they find a bomb. And you know what they do? They gotta evacuate the entire city. And they get everyone out and then they try to defuse the bomb. And if they can't defuse it, they have to just set it off because they know that, hey, this thing may not go off today or tomorrow, but it's, it's a danger to anyone who's around it. 
So it is with hurts inside of your life. If you store anger, if you don't deal with them, it is like a bomb. And it's not going to go off maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but it's not going away. And it is a danger to every relationship and person around you. And so the question is, man, how do you diffuse past hurts? The Bible says it's through the process of forgiveness, or the second practical is releasing them. That's what forgiveness is. It's releasing. The Bible in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance or anyone holds a grudge against someone, forgive them. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What is the... What is forgiveness? It is releasing justice to God for the hurt someone else did. Hey, God, I'm trusting you with that. I'm releasing all of that to you, God. You're the God who will avenge any wrongs that were done to me. Every sin committed against me will be paid for either by them in all of eternity or was paid for on the cross. And so I am releasing that to you, God. I am choosing to forgive this person. If you want to experience freedom from the hurts that are going to hold you back, that are gonna hinder your relationships, it is gonna involve forgiveness. What is forgiveness? It is releasing justice to God for the hurts that were committed against you. I'm not choosing to hold that against them, and I'm releasing that and trusting it with you, God. Forgiveness is not forgetting. In order to even forgive someone, you can't just forget and act like, oh, it never happened. It's saying, I see the inexcusable. What you did was wrong, and I'm not excusing that sin, and it was hurtful, and it was painful, and I'm choosing that I will not hold that against you. I'm releasing that to God, and I will trust him with the outcome. I'll trust him with whatever vengeance or restitution needs to take place. That's ultimately in his hands, not mine. I'm choosing not hold that. Forgiving is not excusing sin. It's not pretending like it didn't hurt or like you're not angry about it. Sin should make you angry, and sin does hurt. Sin makes God angry. And it grieves the heart of God. Of course, that's a natural response. So it's not saying, oh, it never hurt. Fine, everything's good. It is choosing. Despite that, I'm releasing that to you, God. I'm trusting. I'm not gonna continue to hold onto this and carry it with me. And also, it is not optional. That as a believer, it is God's call that you are required to forgive as he has forgiven the inexcusable in your life. And finally, it's not conditional. I think the most common thing that I'll hear is, hey, man, if they will own their part, if they would come and apologize, they don't even think they did anything wrong. They're all defensive, and they're like, man, if he comes and begs for my forgiveness, then I'll give it to him. But until then, I'm not going to just empower or entitle him there. The Bible says forgiveness is not conditional. It's not a, hey, once they do this, then I will forgive them. It is a call to release to God. Hey, I'm trusting you with those things. I'm not gonna hold them against them, just like you, God, didn't hold my sin against me. And tragically, as long as you hold on to those things, and if you're waiting for someone to come apologize or own their part or make it up to you, you're holding on to a hurt that is only gonna hold you back. I was talking with uh, Josh, who leads out in Fort Worth, and we were talking this past week, and he grew up out in the country, and, and he was telling about uh, raccoons that would come and, and, um, and try to kill chickens, and so the way that they would trap these raccoons is they would drill a hole into the side of a tree or a log and kind of make a trap, and they would put a shiny object in the hole. And then you put these screws around the hole so they could reach their hand in to grab the shiny object, but if they made a fist, they couldn't get out. And though at any point they could just release the shiny object and go, it never comes into their mind because they're like, no, I have to hold on to this thing. 
and they don't realize that their freedom is within their hands if they'll just let it go. In the same way, there is a freedom that God wants you to experience, but as long as you hold on to hurts or hold on to requiring they come do something, they make it up, they own their part, they need to apologize, you are holding on to the shiny object and you are holding yourself back from experiencing the freedom God wants you to experience. From no longer being owned by a bitterness that's there and he's inviting you Will you release that? Will you trust that to me? Every sin will be paid for. It has been paid for on the cross or it will be paid for in all of eternity by them. Will you release that? And in doing so, you'll experience freedom. Part of the reason maybe some of us in this room struggle with forgiveness is we think about, man, I just the hardest thing is to forgive myself. I can't forgive myself for what I did. And um, the bad news is you can't forgive yourself but you can accept God's forgiveness. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that, hey, you know, you just need to forgive yourself. The Bible teaches that you need to accept God's forgiveness over your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. In other words, to be a Christian, in case this is new, maybe you're back in church for the first time, a Christian is someone who says, I am not trusting in my behavior, how good of a person I am, the things that I've done, how many Bible verses that I know, how many times I go to church. That won't get me into heaven, and it won't allow me to have a relationship with God. A Christian says, despite everything good I do or everything bad that I've done, the only way that I can have a relationship with God and experience eternal life in heaven is by trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross, paying for my sin, dying in my place, and rising again. He died the death I deserve so that I could live the life that I cannot live without him. That is what it means to be a Christian. It's essentially, God, I'm choosing to accept it. I'm accepting your forgiveness, not because I earned it, not because I deserve it, but because you offered it to me when you gave me your life. That's the only way I can have eternal life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And the truth of the matter is if you're saying, man, I just can't get over forgiving myself, you're holding a higher standard than God is. And you're also belittling the work that he did through Jesus on the cross. And the option of the action you need to take is not choosing to forgive yourself, it's choosing to accept God's forgiveness despite the fact that you do not deserve it. So the second R that comes from here is release. Release, the practical of, hey man, stop holding on to hurts that are gonna hold you back. You've got to release them through forgiving. You've got to make the decision. I choose to forgive you. I remember one of the most powerful things that really, I, I think, marked my 20s was a moment where um, I had to do this myself. I had to sit down and I had to make the decision that I had to forgive my dad. There was, um, I was raised by a single mom, and I've shared about that, and my dad was really absent. He wasn't around, and the times that he was around was just not great, and we'd see him every other week on a Monday night. And I realized there were some things in my heart that I was just holding on to bitterness and I had to go and I had to, for me, I had to go write it down and I had to choose and make the decision to forgive and say, man, you took from me a dad who was present in my life and I'm choosing to forgive you. You took from me every other Monday night where I had to drive across town to that tiny apartment and I'm choosing to forgive. You took from me a father who would attend sporting events, a father who was present, who actually knew anything about his son. You took that from me. I didn't get to have that because of you. And I'm choosing to forgive you and release it. Ultimately, it's a sin against God, but I'm not gonna carry that anymore. 
And every time that in my life uh, I find a new hurt or a new thing that I'm like, man, I feel like I'm, I'm bitter. I find a new bomb. I got to go in and I have to diffuse it through forgiveness and make the decision. I'm not holding that against them. I'm releasing that, God. I'm trusting that with you. The third principle, really, that we see is found in Mark chapter 5 and the story of a, a man who was, um, who was demon-possessed. It was a guy that Jesus shows up, and I'll kind of set up the scene, and, and we'll, we'll get the third principle and then practical, where Jesus shows up. He's um, kind of going around. He's on the scene. He's doing miracles, and he goes, and he finds this guy who we're told is, is demon-possessed. He's just kind of crazy. He lives all by himself. It says he lives in a graveyard, and he's cutting himself, and he's not wearing clothes, and he's just like Crazy Carl. And everyone knew, Crazy Carl, you don't go near that graveyard because Crazy Carl's over there. And Jesus shows up. He goes right up to the man, and he heals him. And this man, it says, is now clothed in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet, and he's totally changed. And all of a sudden, the town is coming up. They're like, what happened to Crazy Carl? And, um, and he, that's not in the Bible or his name. But he was crazy, and Jesus healed him. And it says that Jesus then went to go on and to go to another town, and here's what happened. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus, him, that he might be with him, or that he might come with him, but Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is just a city, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Jesus said, don't come with me. How crazy is that? This dude is like, hey, I wanna be the 13th disciple. Can I come? And Jesus says, no, I want you to stay here and I want you to go and tell people everything that I've done in your life. Go home and tell your friends about the power of God at work in your life. The third idea, really, that I hope as clearly as I can, and I don't know if I do uh, justice to this, the third principle is that there is no past in here that cannot be a platform for God's power if you will let him. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you're at now. I don't know what you did today, but I do know this, that if you will allow God to come into your life and bring healing there, there's no... Uh, person who uh, has committed sins and offenses and done such things that God can't be an incredible or God can't write an incredible story through your life and he wants to write an incredible story through your life that you cannot be a platform for the power of God. What do I mean by platform? I mean someone who's, who surrenders and God says, man, look, all these different things that I've done. I'm a serial adulterer. I slept with a married woman. I've been dealing drugs. I've been, I don't know what your story is. Maybe it's an eating disorder that you've carried, whatever those different, maybe it was sexual abuse that was done to you. Maybe you're in a homosexual relationship right now. None of those things makes you anything less than the perfect candidate for someone that God will write an incredible story if you allow him to. And that story will be a platform. What do I mean by platform? A platform is something that you stand on and in doing so, it displays to others. It allows others to more effectively see. In other words, this is a platform. When I step down here on the ground, you cannot as effectively see. If you're listening or looking on the camera, you can no longer effectively see me as well. But if you allow God to come into your life and take your story and take whatever ashes you have, he will turn them into beauty. Take a, a garment of heaviness and make it a garment of praise, he says. And he will put you, and your story will not become something in your past that you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and I don't want to ever talk about it, but it will be something that is a display where others can see and they go, oh my gosh, God, 
has got to be behind that because that doesn't make any sense apart from him. There's so many different stories that have marked the lives inside of this room. I mean, that's what the porch is, is a bunch of broken people coming together, trying to walk with Jesus as best we can and openly uh, be honest about the times where we're not. And God, in the midst of doing so, writes these incredible stories where you can't help but look at them and go, there's got to be a God. That doesn't make any sense apart from him. Let me give you a few examples. There's a girl that uh, was uh, in Florida a couple of years ago, a few years ago. She was working at a club. She was doing bottle service. She was living for the weekend and living for the party life. All of a sudden, a friend kind of introduced her to the porch. She started listening. She started getting plugged into a local church there. Her life began to change. She moved here to serve here. And her life radically transformed from this girl who was living the party life and doing bottle service to all now running and uh, really behind everything that you see done in, in terms of social media here. That she doesn't spend her life trying to get other people drunk. She spends her life trying to let people know about Jesus. There's another guy who was uh, moved here from Texas Tech, was chasing after the corporate ladder of corporate America and trying to make a million dollars by the time he's 30, living for the weekend. He was still living the frat life. God comes into his, his world, turns it upside down, and he's responsible for discipling more of the volunteers and people here than anyone else in the last 10 years. But God, story after story, how do you explain that apart from Jesus? And what their life is now is their past is not something that's like a problem or defines them or any of that. It is a display of the power of God to change people. Whatever your story is, that is what God wants it to be. He wants you to tell people how much he's done for you. And if you're unwilling to do that, or if you're not at a place where you're experiencing how much he's done for you, that's the invitation to you tonight. We allow him to take your past, take your problems, and make them a platform for him. And the question is, not if he's willing, it's if you're willing. The third idea is just the R behind this is recognize that your past can be a platform for God's power, a display to the world around us. And the tragedy is it's not just that you're risking becoming, if you're unwilling to move towards healing, you're not just risking becoming who you don't want to be. You are forfeiting becoming the man God wants you to be and that you want to be. You are operating at less than 100%. What do I mean by that? Like, here's, let me use this example and do this and then tell a story and then we'll close. This is a, this is a vacuum, handheld vacuum. And uh, we use it all the time at my house. It's great. Black and Decker. And um, it's not the best vacuum of all time, but, you know, it gets the job done. Here's where it doesn't get the job done. We'll be vacuuming along. This is not a very big opening. So all of a sudden, kids and uh you know, different things get picked up, something gets lodged in there. You know what happens when something gets lodged in here? All of a sudden, the effectiveness of the vacuum goes from 100% because it had entire opening up to less than 100%. And so it's no longer opting as effective as it would have been. Do you know what else is interesting that happens when something gets lodged in here? It makes it more susceptible to other things getting lodged in there. Like all of a sudden, it's like, boom, it's kind of clogged up and more things get stopped in there that wouldn't have even gotten stopped had there not been something lodged in there already. This is how your soul works. You'll be going along through life and all of a sudden something will get lodged. Man, you were exposed to pornography. A friend betrayed you. A girlfriend cheated on you. All of a sudden something gets lodged in there and if you're not diligent to deal with it, it's not going away and you will be walking with a limp. You're not operating at 100% and you will have a more likelihood 
of other things getting lodged in your soul. What do I mean by that? If you don't deal with the different hurts that pop up in your life, like let's take pornography. If it gets lodged inside of there, you're gonna be more likely to have uh, other secret addictions and other things begin to spread. You're gonna be more likely, not just that, for also things just coming out. Like if you're looking at porn in the room, it's coming out of the woodworks for you. Every girl that you look at, you struggle to not try to undress her with your eyes or wonder what underwear she has on. Because it got lodged and other things are starting to stick. Maybe there's a hurt from your past and if you don't deal with it and get rid, remove that thing, that offense that took place, you will be more easily offended all the time. And so that one big hurt of that friend who betrayed you, all of a sudden, you're so easily offended that if somebody doesn't follow you on Instagram, you're like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with her? I'm unfollowing her, that's what I'm doing. Because something got lodged, you didn't deal with it, and now little things are beginning to stick. That's who you are becoming. And the only way for you to experience healing, whether it's a hurt or a sin hangup, is for you to reveal and bring others in, for you to release the hurts from your life and allow God to be the one who administers justice for those things. And for you to recognize whatever your story is, God wants to use it if you will let him. Or you can just let it get lodged. No one can tell. When something gets stuck in there, unless you look inside or turn it on, it's really hard to tell. So you can continue to coast. No one will know. You come here every Tuesday, try to get better, and you will suffer in secrecy. And the God who's there, he's crazy about you. And he's inviting you, will you come and experience healing? Conclusion, God is calling you that there are areas in all of our lives that we have to constantly reveal to others. There are hurts that we have to constantly release through forgiveness and recognize there's no story that God can't use and doesn't want to use if we will let him. Probably the most powerful thing, and I'm going to close here, so I'm going to land the plane. If I'm with you, just come back right here. Stop counting these little wood things or any of the stuff on the roof. Right here, I'm going to close. Here's the most powerful thing in this show that I've been watching. There's one question. It's actually really, it was really helpful. Whenever you get stuck and you're like, oh man, should I get rid of this? Should I not? It's just a single question. It is, hey, is this something that I envision taking into my future with me, that it's a part of my future life, or it's something I should leave in the past? Why is that helpful? Because it's like, oh man, look at this. Pearl snap shirt. I don't think that I am, I don't think I should bring this into the future. This is no longer in, no offense to pearl snaps, they're great. So don't get lost there. But point being, hey, these binoculars, I don't envision my future being like around town as I think about it. The God who's there is inviting you as it relates to hurts in your life, as it relates to sin habits in your present. Are you willing? to allow him to begin to breathe healing into those things because the choice is yours. So let me ask in another way. You need, be, you need to leave here tonight. The question before all of us, is there things that you're holding on to? I don't know what they are. I don't know what they are for you. But the question you need to be asking, is this something I envision in my future or something that I need to let go of from my past? Let me say it another way. Let's say you're 22. You're 22 years old in the room and you have an eating disorder. I want to ask you a question. Is that something that you want to bring into your future? Let's roll forward the clock. 10 years from now, you're 32. Coworkers come in, it's your 32-year-old birthday. They bring a 32 on the cake. They set it down in front of you. Do you envision having an eating disorder on your 32nd birthday? Is that something you want to bring in there? Or is it something you want to let go of from your past? You'd go, of course I'm not going to bring it in there. Do you know when you will stop having an eating disorder? When you will allow others in. 
when you begin to reveal and experience the cure in your life. Let's I'm gonna play the game another one. You're 25 and you're addicted to pornography. Let's go five years. Like, I want you to think about it. You're five years, five years down the road, 30th birthday. They bring in 30 balloon, a three and a zero, and it's like, happy birthday. The question before you is, is that something you want to carry into your future? When you envision 30-year-old me, is that something you want to mark your life? Or is that something you need to let go of in the past? Because here's the lie. It's not going away any other way. Not today, not tomorrow, not when you turn 30, not when you get married. Maybe you were abused, and it was evil, and it was wrong, and you're not alone, and God will have vengeance. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says he's the avenger of such actions, and you're carrying hurt, and you don't trust people anymore, and I just want to ask you, and you're 24, let's roll forward the clock, you're 40, 16 years, family gets together, they got an over-the-hill party for you. Is that something you envision carrying into your 40s? Are you ready to release it? Because it's not going to magically happen at some point. It will happen when you choose. God, I'm trusting you with that. I'm letting this go. I don't want to carry this anymore. I don't want this to mark my life. And the invitation that God of the universe is giving to you is that you can trust me with that. And if you allow me to come in through other people around you and experience what my word wants for you, which is healing, you will have it. Not perfectly and not in a moment, but you will experience the only healing this world has or offers. Or you can hold it. But it's not going away. And the question you need to wrestle with the ground, is this something I envision my future with? Because it's not going away unless you deal with it in the present. Let me pray. Father, I pray for every person in this room who's hiding that you would in your mercy expose maybe the parts of their heart they're not even aware of themselves. Maybe things that they have never told anyone. I pray that you would heal. I pray for anyone who's ever experienced abuse from another person that they would tonight experience just a rush of your spirit and your love would overwhelm their hearts and you would allow them to continue to experience healing and that story which is tragic and evil and it wasn't their fault would become a platform that shows your power. I pray for the future of the current 23 and 24 and 25 and whatever age that you would help us to be men and women who diligently clean out the parts of our lives that don't align with you and that the 30th birthday or the 40th birthday, whatever the future holds for us, we wouldn't be holding on to things that are hurting our soul, holding us back and hindering us from being a platform for you. We worship you now in song, amen.